Morning. This morning, uh, or this week, I had a really cool opportunity. I was talking with my dad, and we were kind of talking about New Brunswick. You see, that's where he was born and raised, and uh, that's where I was born, uh, not raised there. But this week, I get to go visit New Brunswick, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so dad was kind of, kind of doing that thing that, and I, I'm going to catch some flack for this, some, this thing that old people do where they like reminisce about things. And you know that moment when an old person remembers something that they haven't thought about in like 20 years, how they have like that, oh, have I ever told you the story about Peter? And I was like, Dad, no, I, I know Peter's come to mind. Like, like, who is this kid? And so Dad was like, well, I was like, I was like 10 or 12, and my school got a new principal. And the principal's son was about my dad's age. And my dad's mom said, go be friends with that new boy because he's new to town and he doesn't know anyone. And so my dad hopped on his bicycle and went over to this kid's house unannounced because it was the 70s and you can do that sort of thing, right? And so he's up at this kid's house and they kind of hit it off. And Peter's super nice and dad loves to bicycle. And so he goes, Peter, do you want to go for a bicycle ride? And Peter's like, yeah, 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 I think I I can get a bike. And so he he goes and he grabs a bike and he hops on the bike. And dad knows exactly where he's going because he had something in mind that he wanted to try out. So they bike 20 minutes across town. And again, because this is the 70s and 12-year-olds could do that. And so dad's leading the way and Peter's following right behind and they go about 20 minutes across town and they get to this brand new highway that wasn't open yet. And it, it had been finished, but there was no cars on it yet. And the thing that made this highway special was that there was a gigantic hill on this, this highway. Like think like on Stony from Sarsi to Shaganapi, a huge hill. And dad looked at Peter and went, we should bomb down this hill on our bikes. And Peter was like, uh, okay, okay. So dad goes, okay, let's go. And he bombs down this hill and, and Peter's close behind, but dad's a bit faster. And dad said that at the bottom of the hill, there were some barriers up to, cause that was the, kind of the end of construction. So dad being the guy that he was, sent me a picture of what, something, what it looked like. And I put it on the, the slide. So this was what he said is that that was kind of at the bottom of the hill. So dad's going faster than Peter and gets to the bottom first and weaves in between the two barriers. And he turns around and looks back up the hill and sees Peter with a look of sheer and utter terror on his face, kind of just holding on for dear life in this like, I am not in control moment. And he's headed straight towards one of these barriers. And I want to reiterate, this is a true story. I'm not embellishing this at all. He's heading straight towards the barrier, and he's going to hit it. And at the last moment, my dad screams out, Peter, watch out! And Peter, going full speed, lays his bicycle down and skids underneath one of the barriers. For real. And dad runs over and goes, oh my goodness, Peter, 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 are you okay? And Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I think. And he's scraped up all down the side of him from where he skid across the asphalt. Dad goes, why in the world... Were you heading straight towards that barrier? And Peter kind of puts his head down and goes, well, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I actually have an eye condition called retinitis. And because of that, uh, I'm actually technically legally blind. Yeah. Do you know what that means? My dad almost killed the blind kid. (laughs) Let that sink in. You will never look at a man the same way once you realize he almost killed a blind kid. And he's my own dad. And then besides that, how has it taken 24 years for him to tell me this story? This story is gold. (laughs) And so Peter explained uh, uh, retinitis pigmentosa 
is a, a condition where your retina doesn't work quite right and it causes intense tunnel vision and you have this itty bitty little cone of vision that's pretty blurry as is. And so I've, I've done a dramatic recreation of what Peter could see. Just go back a slide. Yeah, that's what Peter could see. And he had made it that far. He had made it 20 minutes across town because Peter was like, I just slotted in behind you and like I could see you. I didn't know where we were or where we were going, but I just, I knew I could follow you and get away with it. And then on the hill, he lost sight of dad. And then obviously all of those events occurred. But was, what was particularly interesting to me was I had never heard of retinitis pigmentosa. But today we're going to learn together. So say it after me, retinitis pigmentosa. You all did about as good as me the first like hundred times I said this word. You see, it means that you really can't see much. And, and I'll have you know that uh, Peter wasn't supposed to be riding a bicycle. He actually stole his sisters and his mom was very angry about it. And then dad and Peter actually became really, really great friends. And because Peter could get away with it, um, because he could see a little bit, dad would often help him kind of bridge that gap between this itty bitty little bit of vision and the world. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't pl play some pranks on him. They were really funny. I'm not going to share them with you, but definitely ask me about them afterwards, and I'll tell them because they're hilarious. But Dad and Peter, and retinitis pigmentosa was just this really interesting concept because I'm going to make a bold claim this morning. I'm going to make a bold claim. Now, obviously, people other than Peter have retinitis pigmentosa, but I want to make a bet for a moment that if you're in this room this morning, you have a form of retinitis pigmentosa, a form of spiritual retinitis pigmentosa that you suffer from in your everyday life. But I'm getting ahead of myself because this week is week three of all the feels and we're talking about anxiety, everyone's favorite emotion, right? Okay, no, no, no clapping, no cheering or anything. Well, maybe it's not your favorite emotion. It's definitely the emotion that I have the most experience with. You see, I like to imagine that like, I, w I was being given birth to and I like, popped out and my mom was like, is it a boy or a girl? And they're like, it's just a ball of anxiety. <laughs> right? I had my first panic attack when I was nine years old. I saw my first therapist for anxiety in grade six. And for most of my adult life, I've seen a therapist on roughly a monthly basis. So when it comes to anxiety, I have a lot of experience. Now, it's unfortunately not experience I can put on my resume, but it's something that I have experienced a lot. And one thing you notice when you have anxiety is that people really don't like talking about it. As a society, we're really bad at our conversation about anxiety. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think one of the main reasons is because it's such a complex idea. There's such a spectrum to what someone can mean when they say, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Right? Like you could just be like, oh, yeah, like um, I have a meeting next week that I'm a little anxious about. Or you could be down on my end of the spectrum and you're literally going to die because of your anxiety, right? Like there's such a difference there that it's so hard to talk about anxiety because for each and every one of us, we all experience anxiety differently. Now, for the sake of conversation and clarity, I've kind of grouped anxiety into two big, broad groups that we're going to talk about individually. Now, if you are a therapist or a doctor, I am not. I am overgeneralization. I'm overgeneralizing here, so please don't come up afterwards and be like, well, that's actually an overgeneralization. I know. Yeah. I know. It's just going to help with our conversation. So the first type of anxiety that I want to point out is quote-unquote normal anxiety. This is when uneasiness is linked to the unknown. For example, and this is true, I meet my girlfriend's parents for the very first time in three days, and I have purple hair. 
I'm a little anxious, right? Like that's, that's uneasiness linked to the unknown because I want them to like me, of course, but I don't know if they're going to. And you all go, oh yeah, sure, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm still a little uneasy about it, right? Normal anxiety is something that we all experience in some form or fashion because it's just part of the human experience. And some of you may be sitting here going, well, I get anxious like once a year. And to you, I, I, I'm jealous. Uh, I've met a couple of you, and I think it's for super religious, but it doesn't mean that you don't occasionally get anxious. Then other people have this experience on a fairly regular basis. And I want to talk a lot about this because this is something that we all have in our life. But before we do that, I want to kind of get something different out of the way. And this is our second group. And this is a group that I'm calling anxiety disorders. Now, this is different because this is not just a normal part of being human, where if we all have normal anxiety. Uh, it actually, I read a report, one in, one in three Canadians report suffering from an anxiety disorder. So what's the difference between an anxiety disorder and normal anxiety? Well, two really great indicators, and again, I'm overgeneralizing here a little bit, is that oftentimes it's unfounded. So it's not connected to any one thing, and it's destructive. So two really great examples of this. First, type of anxiety disorder I have, I just wake up anxious a couple days of the week. And it's not based around any one thing. Like, there's nothing that I'm anxious about. I just wake up and my body's like, wow, we're anxious today. And I'm just like, great, awesome. Like, this is just part of life for me. Another example of this is uh, like a social anxiety where you're so terrified to leave the house this morning and to be around all of these people that are so friendly and I don't want them to talk to me and I just want to get in and out and you're just so anxious that you practically had a crying fit on the drive here because you were so anxious because that's becoming destructive in your life. It's literally destroying your ability to be social and to, to do all of those things. Now, here's the problem. Anxiety disorders are different than normal anxiety because anxiety disorders are a part of mental health. And it's actually probably more accurate to uh, kind of compare anxiety disorders to something like diabetes or asthma than it is to attribute it to the normal emotion of anxiety. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, Like take diabetes, for example. That's a disorder of the blood where your blood doesn't make enough insulin, I'm pretty sure. Um, So in my case, um, my, my brain is literally doesn't make the right amount of serotonin. Like, that's probably what it comes down to. The science is a little fuzzy, but that's basically what it is, right? There's something wrong with me that's been wrong from birth, just like somebody with type 1 diabetes or the fact that Dan was born with asthma. You know, like, it's just part of my mental and health makeup. And now, because of that, sometimes people can look at Scripture where it says, do not be anxious. And then they go, well, if you're having an anxiety disorder, that's actually a sin in your life. Or, even worse than that, I heard a story of a friend of a friend this weekend, and this is true, went to a church and she had an anxiety disorder, and a woman there told her that she was being punished for sin in her life by means of this anxiety disorder. Like, oh, that just, that breaks my heart, you guys. Like, that just breaks my heart. And what's really interesting is that if we think about anxiety disorders the same way we think about um, diabetes or asthma or cancer or, you know, being blind from birth, we see a much different reality in Scripture. You see, this question that we're asking about, is this a sin? Jesus actually got asked almost the identical question in John 9. It says that as Jesus walked along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth, similar to the fact that I've been anxious from birth, that my good friend Jamo, who plays bass, has had diabetes from birth. 
They said, teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Great question. It's literally the one we're asking right now, right? And so Jesus answers him and says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. And then after that, he got down on one knee and he took some mud and rubbed it on this blind guy's eyes and then said, go wash the mud off. And he healed the man. Because that man wasn't being punished for his sins. It wasn't because of his sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. In that moment, he got to show how God can heal the blind, how Jesus can heal the blind. And you may be going, well, Joshua, I have an anxiety disorder and I've prayed for God to take it away, but he's not doing it in that same way. How in the world can the power of God be seen through me? And I want to offer a second example, one that you're all witnessing right now. I have an anxiety disorder, and that uniquely allows the power of God to be shown through me as I get to talk about anxiety. Seriously, I should be a bumbling mess of anxiety right now. And there, there's a little bit, but God's with me, and the power of God is showing up. The fact that I can stand up here and only screw up a couple words instead of all of them is a testament to God's power and not my own. Come on, like that is, that is exciting that God gets to do that. And I, seriously, like I, I, could, I could literally stay here all morning. It gets me excited. But you have things in your life that you go, God's not taking this away, and he seems to persist. That exists in your life so that the power of God can be seen through you. And I know that that can be hard to hear, and I wish I could give an example for every single one of you. But, you know... <laughs> I don't have time, and, and I would love to talk to you afterwards, or, or Daniel, or Amber, or anyone on the Dream Team would love to talk to you about what that is, but those things in your life, whether it's diabetes, cancer, asthma, anxiety disorders, blindness, does not exist because of your sin. It exists so that the power of God can be seen through you. So really quick, let's talk really practically about anxiety disorders. So to the one-third of you, who have an anxiety disorder, or think you do, what should you do? The best thing you can do is just talk to someone you trust. Whether that's your mom, or your husband, or a therapist, find someone you trust and begin to talk about it, because that's gonna be the first step to finding success and you know, health in your life, and that's just, a, that's just a really easy first step. Also, what tends to come up with this, especially in the churches, well, what's the church's stance on medication? Because I heard that, that Christians should just pray, and that should heal them it would be ridiculous to tell somebody with diabetes not to take insulin, right? So the Bible does not forbid medication. And if you and your doctor decide that that's the right choice for you, go for it. I'm not a doctor. I can't give you medical advice. I will say, though, I've taken mood-altering medication, and it takes one day to start taking it. And it took me about six months to get weaned off because it's such a powerful medication. And so for you... Make that decision for you. Have a conversation with your doctor, your therapist, someone you love and trust, and that's going to be the best thing for you. So what about the two-thirds of you that don't have an anxiety disorder? You know someone who does. If you know me, boom, you know someone. But chances are there's someone you know and love in your life that has an anxiety disorder. And so what can you do? Well, if they ever approach you feeling anxious, the best thing you can do is respond with calmness. If somebody comes to you and goes, Joshua, I'm freaking out right now. The appropriate response is not, oh my goodness, what do we do? No, don't do that. <laughs> that's, that's the worst thing you could do. If they come to you and you go, I'm freaking out right now, you go, it's going to be okay. I'm here. I'm here for you. We're going to get through this together. What can I do to help? 
And then once the anxiety has passed, maybe a day or two later, have a conversation with that person and go, hey, let's talk about what happened the other day. I love you, and I want to be here for you, and I want to know, is there anything that I can do better for you in those moments? And that's one of the most helpful things. Of all the people that I go to for my anxiety, I have a couple like, like people that I always go to. They just know what to do. Get me talking about Formula One, and my anxiety pretty much vanishes. I'm serious. It just gets my head off of wherever I'm at, and, it's, and they just know that, that that's one of the most helpful things. So at the end of the day, anxiety disorders, the most important part that you can do is know that this exists for the power of God to be shown through you, and then have a conversation and be open to, you know, talking to someone. Now, that's a huge topic we just covered really fast. So let's take a, take a breath and go back to quote-unquote normal anxiety. So this is not anxiety disorders that I'm talking about here. I'm talking about just the everyday experience. And the, the quote, the quote-unquotes is important because just because something is normal does not mean that it's good. Just because something's part of the human experience doesn't mean that it's healthy. So we're all going to experience emotions, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily good. So because we now know that we're just talking about normal anxiety, um, we're henceforth are just going to refer to this as anxiety. So anxiety is uneasiness linked to the unknown. For example, when your significant other texts you, hey, we need to talk, that's anxiety, right? And if you're the type of person that sends texts like that, well, I won't, I won't say what I want to say, but just know that I'm looking down on you. <laughs> and you have that moment of, oh, oh my goodness, what, what, in the, what does he or she want to talk about? Am I in trouble? Have I done something wrong? And then you like replay and you have this uneasiness that's linked to the unknown. And what's really interesting is that when it comes to this type of anxiety, Scripture actually talks about it a lot. Like seriously, it comes up over and over and over and over again. In fact, Jesus, the same guy that we um, read from earlier, he had his most popular sermon, and he devoted a pretty sizable chunk of that most popular sermon just to anxiety. So we're super creative in the way that we name sermons. It's called Sermon on the Mount because he was on a mountain and giving a sermon. And he was literally outside, up on the side of the hill. There was a whole big crowd of people. And he begins teaching about all these different things. And then he gets to anxiety and he starts out strong. In Matthew, we see this. He says, do not be anxious. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> right? And, and I do this, of course, he continues. But I do this because if you're cynical like me, you read something like this and, and you can feel a little condemned, right, of Jesus going, well, don't be anxious. And it's like, J I know, duh. And, and I want to rephrase, I want to kind of re, um, reposition this, that this is not a condemnation. This is more of an acknowledgement to something that we all know is true. I don't think that there's anyone in here that's like, no, we should be more anxious, right? We all know that this is true, and, and Jesus is just setting this up. So luckily, he doesn't stop there, and he, he gives us some advice on how not to be anxious. And he starts with these two really great analogies. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of his life? In fact, if you're too anxious, you're probably going to get heart disease and then die earlier <laughs> because of your anxiety. But he keeps going, and he, he brings in a different analogy from a different angle. And he says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Now, as a side note, I really love to imagine that this is outside and that Jesus literally goes, look at the birds of the air. 
and points, and then he, he gets down and, and he picks a lily and goes, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And let me tell you, Solomon was a G. He had it going on. But God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow. He will certainly care for you. He then kind of sums it all up and says, why do you have so little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? But these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. And see, Jesus does something really neat here that he does time and time and time again. Jesus doesn't condemn you for your anxiety. He encourages you through it. God doesn't condemn you for anxiety. He encourages you through it. He doesn't go, do not be anxious. And if you're being anxious, well, oh, man, we got a problem. No, he says, here's how to get through it. Look at how God and your heavenly father provides for the, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. But one of my favorite things of this passage is actually in this little, little chunk right here. And it's how Jesus describes anxiety. He says that it dominates the thoughts of unbelievers. And they go, well, what are we going to eat? And what are we going to drink? And, and what are we going to wear? And then you become so focused on your own problems that you just become overwhelmed and you just became laser focused on your problems and your life and everything just seems to be out of control. And because you can only see your own life, you can only see your own strength and you go, well, I can't do this. And whatever this uneasiness is, is that it's going to be too much. And you end up blinded to the lilies of the field and the birds of the air with spiritual retinitis pigmentosa where you become so focused on this blurry anxiety of, of what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What's this meeting about? Am I going to hear back from this company? That you lose sight of the reality in the world around you and the fact that God is good and he's a good father and he looks out for this whole world. And yeah, right now it's hard to see that because you are blinded to everything but that. And in that moment, how do you cure your spiritual retinitis pigmentosa? Well, I don't know about you guys, but I want to go to the guy that can heal the blind. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Right? Because sometimes you're going to pray and you're going to go, God, I feel so spiritually blinded by this anxiety. And he's going to take a knee. He's going to take some mud. And he's going to heal your spiritual retinitis pigmentosa. Like, praise God for that. Right? Like, wow, that happens. But maybe you're sitting here going, well, Joshua, that's really great that that happens to some people. But I keep praying for God to take away my spiritual retinitis pigmentosa, and it's not going anywhere. It's really easy for Jesus to say this. And to a certain extent, I, I do agree that it's easy to say this, right? But what's really interesting about Jesus is that he didn't just talk the talk. He actually walked the walk. You see, after this um, kind of sermon passed, he did some other teaching, and then the end of his life was getting closer and closer. He had been betrayed by one of his best friends. He was being hunted down to be tortured and killed, and he knew it. And it says that right before being captured or, or turned in, that he had a, a moment to himself where he was just incredibly anxious and stressed about what was going to be coming up. And he was feeling that anxiety. And moment, in that moment, Scripture literally tells us that he was so stressed, so anxious, that he literally sweat blood. 
And now, this is, this is actually an interesting point. Scientists have actually proven that this is like a real medical thing and that it only happens under the most stress and the most anxiety that a person can handle. And Jesus is sitting there under all of this anxiety and pressure and fear. And what does he do? He gets down on his knees and he prays. And he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. He goes, in terms of what our context, he goes, Jesus, or God, if you could just heal my spiritual retinitis pigmentosa, that would be great. If not, though, I trust you to get me through it. Right? And that's, that's scary. That's hard. And this was something that was, that was really unique to me that I had never noticed before. You see, I've always thought of prayer as a conversation with God, right? Like that's kind of the way it gets built, the way, the way that it gets explained, that, that prayer is an opportunity for us to have a you know, conversation with God, to hear from God, to tell God things, just to be with him. But you see, prayer does something else. Because prayer is also when you line yourself up with God. Prayer is when you line yourself up with the will of God and going, you know what, this is really hard for me, but, but I'm trusting you to lead me through this even if you're not going to heal my spiritual blindness. Just like Peter, to get through 20 minutes of downtown, he put my dad right in that field of vision and went, you know what, I don't know where we're going. I can't really see anything else, but I'm going to keep you in my field of view. And as long as I can focus on you, it doesn't matter that I can't see anything else because I trust you to guide me through this. And when you pray, you line yourself up with what God's plan is. And sometimes it's scary because you can't see where you're going. But I promise you that that plan exists so that you can see the power of God work through you. Prayer is more than a conversation. Prayer is when you line up with God. And so as I've been talking this morning, um, it's one thing to hear me joke about, you know, meeting my girlfriend's parents or, or, you know, texting, uh, we need to talk, Right? But as, I, as I've talked, I, I'm willing to bet for a moment that in your life, you've begun to think through those things in your life that you feel blinded by. And the thing is that the, the thought is going to enter, and you're going to start to feel that darkness creep in, and you're going to go, oh, no, 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 I don't need to think about that. Because you'd rather not think about the anxiety than, than feel that, that darkness close in as you're trying to just focus on whatever it is. I want you to ask the question honestly to yourself, what is your retinitis pigmentosa. What is it? What is it in your life that is so terrifying and anxiety-ridden for you that you can't focus on anything else when you're thinking about it and you forget about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? Because as you follow behind God, God reminds you, hey, I know that you can't see it, but there's the birds of the air and the lilies of the field and I care about you so much more and I'm going to be there for you. And once you've identified what that retinitis pigmentosis in your life, I want you to take it. And I want you to pray a prayer that's somewhere along the lines of, God, if you can heal me of this blindness, please, I want that. That's my plan, please. I, I, need, this in my, I need this taken out of my life. I need to have sight. But then follow that up with, but if that's not your will, I want the power of God to be shown through me. 
And I'm willing to slot in behind you and follow and trust that even though I can't see it, you are a good God and you're leading me to someplace great. And it doesn't matter that I can't see the birds of the air or the lilies of the field, but I trust that they're there and you're going to get me to a better place than I could ever imagine. Right now, I'm going to pray a prayer, something similar to that. Uh, kind of as an example, but also for the, the anxiety that I have in my own life. And, and I pray, and I hope that you'll either pray that with me quietly um, or to yourself, or that you'll kind of take that and, and really mull over it over the next couple of days um, and have that opportunity to share with God on itself. So let's pray. God, there are times when I feel like I am blind and that I can only see what makes me the most anxious, and that I am, I am just so laser-focused on this terrifying thing, God. I pray that you would take away my spiritual blindness, that you would take away my spiritual retinitis pigmentosa, and that you would show me how you are a good God, and you would show me the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. But God, if that isn't your will, I pray that, that I will stay laser-focused on you, God. I want to line up, like Peter did behind Mark, and just follow you and trust that the birds of the air and the lilies of the field are there, God, and that you, you lovingly care for them, God, and that you care for me so much more than you care for them and that you will clothe me, that you will give me food to eat, a place to sleep, people to love, that you will take away that anxiety, God. I thank you that you do not condemn us for our fallen bodies, but that you encourage us through it and that you say no. This is not a punishment, but this is so that the power of God can be seen through you. I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. 